Welcome to The Way Home Podcast, a conversation about church, community, and culture. I'm your host, Dan Darling, here in Nashville, Tennessee, and today I'm joined by Bob Welch. Bob is an award-winning author, columnist, speaker, and professor of journalism at the University of Oregon. Uh, Bob is the author of 17 books, including the recently released 52 Little Lessons from A Christmas Carol that explores lessons and stories from Charles Dickens' beloved tale, A Christmas Carol. This is one of my favorite Christmas stories, and I thought it'd be great to have Bob on to talk about this, the history of this Christmas Carol, and some of the lessons we can learn. Uh, Even though it's been a century and a half after its publication, this familiar story of miserly Ebenezer Scrooge and innocent Tiny Tim remain very popular and continue to reach millions of people. But Dickens had more in mind for this story than just to entertain. He really wanted to teach lessons about forgiveness, redemption, and faith. And so Bob Welch's book really peels back some of the layers on this classic tale and offers insights and implications for how to live in a spirit of love and forgiveness. So we will talk with Bob about this story, about some of the gospel themes we see echoed in in a Christmas tale, and about... Dickens' own life and one of the, some of the motivations that caused him to write this. Before we begin our conversation with Bob, however, I want to remind you about a really handy tool that ERLC has called The Weekly. This is an online newsletter, a quick and informative read on the week's top news stories from a Christian perspective. This will be delivered in email inbox uh, on Thursday of every week. Uh, it summarizes national and international stories that focus on marriage, faith, religious liberty, and issues of Christianity and culture. Uh, each story is explained in a concise sentence or two, and then we provide links if you want to take a deeper dive to really understand what is going on in the news. I know many people are very busy. They have jobs, they have kids, they have church. Uh, they don't have time to sort of sit and process the news. And so this is a way that we can help keep you informed from a Christian perspective. You can sign up for the weekly by visiting my website, danieldarling.com, and clicking on the link. Also, if you've missed any of our recent conversations on the way home, I invite you to check out the podcast page on danieldarling.com. You can access all our previous episodes and also learn more about how to sign up via uh, iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn or Signal or other ways that you get podcasts. But for now, let's join Bob Welch and talk about The Christmas Carol. Glad to have Bob Welch here on the Way Home Podcast. Thanks for joining me, Bob. Well, it's good to be here, Dan. Thanks. So I was very, very interested in having you on the program because uh, The Christmas Carol is one of my favorite stories and um, really was intrigued by your book, 52 Little Lessons from a Christmas Carol. I just want to start by talking a little bit. What is? Uh, how did you get fascinated, interested in in the Christmas Carol, just something that you went to plays growing up and read growing up and loved and appreciated, or was there a particular reason that you just yeah. sort of got fascinated? Well, it's actually, with it? it's actually the third in a series. I, I did just a little lessons from "It's a Wonderful Life," which mm-hmm. is my all-time favorite holiday uh, mm-hmm. classic, mm-hmm. and then I did fifty-two little lessons from Les Misérables. And so uh, Thomas Nelson Publishers was looking for a third, and we all just sort of thought Christmas Carol would yeah. be. Wonderful, but I pointed out that uh, Les Mis was a a fifteen hundred page book, and Christmas Carol was a forty five page novella. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so not quite as much information to extract from. And yet once once I immersed myself in Dickens's uh, story, um, I found all these amazing nuances that just sort of fascinated me. And and I spent forty years as a reporter, mm-hmm. so I um, I'm used to sort of culling. 
research and trying to try to make sense of it all. And it was certainly fun to do uh, this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this story is what about 150 years old, right? And um... Yeah, 1843, I think, is when uh, Dickens wrote it. You know, what is it about this story that has still resonates every year at Christmas, that it still captures even younger generations? You know, my kids are fairly young, and they we've taken them to see it, and they just love... Yeah, they, they love it. What is it about the story I, that so captivates people? Well, I think I think on a number of levels, you know, I think on one thing, I think it, it uh, sort of subtly begs us to examine our own our own mm-hmm. lives. Uh, I think that we all, none of us, really look at, at, at the movie or read the book and think, "Oh, I'm Scrooge." Mm-hmm. And yet, I I honestly believe that we we all have a little bit of Scrooge in us, and and uh, and I think that it's really kind of a story of of um redemption and mm-hmm. and change and and i i kind of believe that scrooge has been uh has gotten a bad rap in our mm-hmm. culture you know that merriam webster officially recognizes scrooge um as a, as a, a noun these days and of course it means a miserly bitter old person and yet too many people don't really see the whole story here's a guy who's who once was lost but now he's found mm-hmm. and and he is sort of the epitome of of what I think God wants from all of us to be willing to change, and uh, so I, I think He's kind of a hero. Well, when you think about the time that Dickens wrote this, and he also wrote, you know, he was writing. Uh, you think of Oliver Twist. You think of some other ones. He's writing about what the Industrial Revolution, right? And uh, right, yeah. Seeing some yeah. of the excesses of that revolution, uh, of what was going on in in British society. Exactly. There was a, a very distinct uh, class divide, and, and uh, the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. And, and he wrote this originally as kind of a social commentary on on the sort of uh, selfishness of, of the British government and their, their unwillingness to recognize poor people as, in some cases, even having any human standing. I mean, many people believe that, you know, if you're poor, you you know, you should be done away with to uh, to leave more for the rest of us. And uh, so rather than write a traditional treatise on the subject, he wrote a, a book that he hoped would would um, um, kind of rattle people. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it certainly, it certainly did. And it, 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 um, it gets to us at a, at a deep level. You know, it's interesting to me when I, when I look at our favorite stories, whether it's Christmas stories or any of our stories, but but look at a story like The Christmas Carol, uh, how there's always kind of a clash of ideas of good versus mm-hmm. evil, good versus bad. They're nuanced a little bit. Even look at our favorite Christmas stories, even modern ones, whether it's, you know, the Hallmark Channel annual, you know, sort of Christmas shows or any of the classics. There's always kind of a good versus evil and kind of a you know, someone's out to destroy Christmas and we have to save it, uh, which is, you know, fun and sort of, um, you know, makes us feel good. But I do see in there, and I don't know if, if you see this too, a little bit of what we see in the in, in the scriptures that uh, there is a good versus evil, uh, that mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. is a... Um, there is a story that the Bible tells about the world, but there's also an enemy, and you know Christ defeats the enemy and defeats right. sin and death. And so, do you kind of see a little bit of that in the Christmas Carol? Oh, sure. And I think that the I think that the good versus evil here is is um, it's this force within us that um, um, it, it's sort of culture versus Christ. I think uh, in that 
what Scrooge was doing was basically uh, adhering to the culture around him, which was were very selfish, and yet we're called as Christians to to live beyond that. And so it's quite easy to see the three spirits as as uh, almost Holy Spirit esque. I'm not don't mm-hmm. come out and say that, but right. it, it's easy to see that they. Um, you know, he talks. You know, Dickens himself talks about how may may his book haunt the reader's house pleasantly. And I think that isn't that what the Holy Spirit sort of does with us? It kind of gets inside of us, and it and it, mm. it shows us things about ourselves that we kind of wish we didn't have to face. And um, so, at the start of this story, you know, he's in total denial. These these. Uh, uh, Jacob Marley, the ghost of Jacob Marley, can't be real. And then gradually, though, he comes to an openness. He starts looking at his his past, and then he comes to a certain acceptance that maybe he he hasn't been all that he could have been. And it, and this sort of uh, humility uh, washes over him. He, he grieves at this idea that Tiny Tim could die because he's not going to step forward and and and. Um, let his concern for his fellow man um, help pay for an operation for the guy, and then ultimately repentance. Mm-hmm. And so it's just fascinating to see him go through what I think we all go through in kind of microcosmic ways each and every day, where are we going to give any money to the to the guy on the street corner? Are we going to, in our marriage, are we going to uh, think only of ourselves or our spouse? Uh, I think that we go through Scrooge-esque uh, uh, scenarios every single day, and so I think there's lots for us to learn from Ebenezer Scrooge and his willingness to ultimately change. and And uh, I admire him for that. One of the things you said that I thought was so interesting a minute ago was most of us, when we go and see the play Christmas Carol, when we read it or we watch the movie, we don't see ourselves as Scrooge, and I think that's fairly typical of the way we see all stories. We typically, sure. our natural bent is to see ourselves as the hero in every story. Uh, exactly. But there's a benefit, right, to that kind of soul-searching and saying, hey, maybe I'm Scrooge. Exactly. There's no, you know, as I, as I point out here, um, there, there's no getting better unless we first admit that we we need to get better. I mean, and I think that that's what so many of us don't want to do. We don't want to face the, the idea that we could have parts of our lives that need improving. But awareness is the beginning of change, and that's what that's what's so cool to see. At first, Scrooge is so resistant to all of this. You know, it's just a bother to him, and yet uh, the scales start falling off of his eyes, and he starts realizing, "I once was like this. I once had feelings for Belle, the woman that I almost married," and I. And Fezziwig, my my boss, what a wonderful guy he was, and what a great time we had at his parties. And and he realizes all that he once had. I think what happens to people sometimes is when we start changing and we start um, uh, becoming selfish, we we lose perspective on ourselves. And I think mm-hmm. what this story is ultimately about is perspective. In the same way that Wonderful Life is really a, a story about perspective. George Bailey. To, to to everyone who sees his life realizes this is, he's a great guy he's had a, he's having a wonderful life he doesn't see that though mm-hmm. and in the same way Scrooge um, people will look at Scrooge and say he's a miserly old man um, he's never going to change blah 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 and and but he doesn't see that he doesn't see himself as as unhappy and um, bitter uh, but the the spirits show him 
what he really is. And once he gets to that point, then he realizes, then he realizes, oh, I guess you're telling me I can change. I don't have to be this way. And in essence, the, the spirits say, no, but why are we investing you? Because we, there's hope for you. You can change. But most people don't change. Scrooge, obviously, is a happy exception to that. Mm-hmm. I just think the story is fascinating in, in, in some of the biblical themes that, that you see, again, not intentionally by Dickens by any means, but th- this idea that for Scrooge, he's starting to recognize this is like the way that I'm acting, this sort of slavish devotion to money, this, you know, money is idolatry, is not how I was wired to be. This is not who I really am. Exactly. And then this idea of of change coming externally, like like we can't change ourselves. We need something outside of us to change us. With Scrooge, obviously, is the dreams and it's things. But you know, we would say from Scripture that it, we need Christ to come and kind of change us and uh, from the inside and transform us. This idea of change is really powerful. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and um, and that's the thing. He was he was eventually open to the idea of being changed. And I again, I think that a lot of us. We like to think that we're open to that, but mm-hmm. most people, when you when you look at their lives, what they were when they were young, they are when they are old, mm-hmm. and and yet if you look at the gospel, I mean the gospel is constantly uh, beckoning us, encouraging us just to change, and and uh, I mean I I always when I go to a church service, you know I always am saying you know I, I want to be different mm-hmm. uh, an hour from now than I was at the start. And, and and that really comes down to our openness to or to our willingness to realize that we're we're not all that we might be, and and that God is constantly calling us to be better. Then the idea is not, you know, with the idea of grace and everything. The idea is not to find some sort of mythical uh, perfection, like okay, this was the mm-hmm. perfect day. I I lived it perfectly. But I do think God calls us to always be uh, deepening our faith in Him, loving those around us more. Um, understanding what really matters in life. And I think that that's what Scrooge ultimately does. I mean, I think it's it's interesting that on Christmas morning when he wakes up, um, the first thing he does is fling open the window. In other words, uh, he wants to look around him. He, he, he wants to enjoy this new perspective. Up until this point, everything is dark. It's inward. He's looking at himself. He's counting his money. It's right in front of him. But on that Christmas morning, he flings open the windows and looks out, and and uh, is at in awe of of Christmas morning. And he looks at everybody differently. The the young lad who gets the turkey for him, you know, he's suddenly praising him and thinking, "Well, what a what a lively young man he is." You know, I I like this kid. And and before, you know, anybody who got in his view. Uh, was somebody who he detested because everybody wanted something from him. They wanted money for the poor, or Bob Cratchit was working Christmas Day, in essence, stealing money from me. And and so it was all about himself before, and suddenly on Christmas morning, it's all about other people. I want to talk uh, about some of the lessons that you drew from the Christmas Carol uh, uh, in your book, you have 52 Little Lessons. What are, what are some of the, you know, if you could name two or three lessons that people who watch this classic tale could can learn from it? Well, I, you know, one is attitude is everything. Um, again, um, just like in Wonderful Life, Scrooge's circumstances do not change at all during this story. 
what changes him is his attitude, his perspective on life. Just as that's what George Bailey in Wonderful Life, the the, the scene at the uh, bridge, and, and he's going to commit suicide. That the angel shows him the what his life would have been like had he not lived, and he returns to that same place on the bridge, and everything has changed. Uh, but the circumstances have changed not at all. Same way with Scrooge. He goes through this amazing trip back in time, and the, the spirits show him all this uh, life would have been like had he done this or that. But but circumstances do not change at all. It's his attitude that changes. And I and I think that uh, Swindoll talks about that, you know, that, that um, 90% of our lives, it's all about attitude and mm-hmm. how we how we look at life, how we look at opportunities, how we look at the people around us, how we look at ourselves. And so that's a, I think that's a key one. The other one is um, th- there's joy in starting over. I, I don't I think that a lot of Christians we get real comfortable with ourselves and, and too comfortable with ourselves. And I don't think that we think of change as the default format. And I think that we should. I think that we should always be willing to be more of this or less that, and, and instead I think we get into these comfort zones, and I think for some people that means cozying up to a certain type of politics, and for other people I think it means cozying up to the power of, of money and and pride and stuff like that. And and again, we're, we're called to live beyond that, to not, you know, uh, to not conform to the world standards, but to, to conform to a deeper, higher standard. So um, I think that, that there's joy in starting over, um, you know, live with the end in mind. I think that that's another one of the lessons I talk about. And, and that's what Scrooge ultimately, when the, when the um, ghost of Christmas yet to come points to the grave um, and Ebenezer realizes he's the dead man uh, at whom people were laughing when he died and the funeral of which nobody would come to unless lunch was served. Mm. He realizes that he's lived a pretty uh, uh, pathetic life, to be blunt. And um, so he looks forward. He, he looks at the future, and that that is the final instigator of his change. He says, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be that man when I die. I don't want to be on my deathbed and look back and have all these regrets. So I think it's important that we live with the end in mind and, and ask ourselves, you know, what do we want people to say about us at our memorial services? What do we what do we want our life to have counted for? And Scrooge realizes that making money and being a miser uh, in the big in the long run just doesn't cut it. So bravo for him. I'm a Scrooge fan, as you can see. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it is interesting as you're talking. I'm thinking, you know, it's another uh, another theme that we see echoed in, in scripture of eschatology. You know, we're always, you know, we're always looking ahead. We're always looking to the end. We're living sort of with with the end in mind, with with Christ's return in mind. And so it's interesting to find the echoed in these stories. I'm curious about Dickens. Uh, when he wrote this, you know, how well was this received? Was it, was it, was there pushback? Uh, was it, was it, well received was it uh, criticized it was, quite a it bit? It was general. I think you could you could say it was generally well received. Uh, actually, the some of the pushback came from the Church of England, mm. which thought it was flippant and and that it was too harsh on the uh, on the rich, uh, and that was from the church. <laughs> hmm. wow. So uh, the people that the people did not like it were the sort of what I would call the Pharisaical mm-hmm. church community and and the wealthy. Um, the, the government, uh, they didn't like it because it, it dared to, to call them on the carpet. 
and and well, they should have been. So, uh, but but the common man again, it is a book about the common man, and there are spiritual lessons, and yet um, it doesn't involve a church, and it doesn't involve yeah. a cross, and it doesn't involve the the usual trappings of religion that we think. It takes place in squalid um, living conditions and a, a very dark time in history. And and yet the lesson shines brightly at the end as he flings open those the window and jumps up and down on his bed and 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 I love the end of the book the story how he's he says I'm as happy I'm as lively as a child you know and and when you think about scripture and you think about the special place in in Christ's heart uh, were children I, I think it's it's so fitting that he feels he has been born again he has a new life he is childlike again, and he remembers when he was young, he remembers the joy of feeling childlike. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. In fact, that's, that's some of, one of my lessons is, is just that there's, there's a great thing in being a child, because children trust, because children um, aren't all about themselves, they're curious, uh, they're willing to change, and as we get older, I think we get, as Scrooge did, we get stuck in our rut, and we, we get selfish. And our, our sometimes our perspective narrows in a way that a, a child's perspective does not. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, even Cratchit, you know, after, after being reprimanded by Scrooge, you know, uh, slides down the snowy hills with the kids on his way home from work. He and, and the nephew, Fred, have never lost that childlike um, um, approach to life, their love of Christmas, their care for their fellow man. And and uh, and they don't return evil for evil. So there's there's lessons not only from Scrooge offers us a lot of how not to live lessons, at least in the early parts of the book. But Fred and Bob Cratchit offer some pretty good lessons about how not to return evil for evil, and and uh, uh, and, and about keeping your perspective on the things that really matter. It does tell you the power of story too. That that these stories really echo kind of questions everyone's asking in their own heart and echo, I think, the grand story of Scripture. Uh, and, and what I guess what lessons would you say Dickens' story of A Christmas Carol would, would have for modern storytellers, people who are crafting stories today? I think, you know, I think a big one is you know, before honor comes humility. Uh, when, you think of, uh, when you think of what Scrooge goes through, it's not an easy transition that he makes on this Christmas Eve to become a new man. It's, it's difficult. It's painful. He weeps. He, he feels the utter angst of, of, of looking at a wasted life. I mean, I, we are in the, ha- the, the midst of a, a remodel add-on project here at our home in mm-hmm. Oregon, and it's, it's ugly. I mean, it's, it's no fun getting up every morning and hearing people hammering away, you know, six feet away from you, and our house has never looked worse right now, and we're living in one-third of it. We don't have a kitchen until February. And yet, we know the promise is of, of a beautiful house, a better house, and, and it's the same way in our, in our lives and, and in Scrooge's life. He realized that, you know, short-term pain, long-term gain, mm-hmm. and bravo for him. And yet a lot of people, we, we get short-circuited at the idea of going through the pain. We don't want to go through the remodel. It's too painful to look at our lives. It's, you know, we, um, and so we have to understand that before honor comes, comes humility. It says so in the scripture, and it, it's obvious in life that if we're going to change, it's going to be uncomfortable for a while. Uh, why do couples who are, are uh, having a difficult time in their marriage, why do they not go for counseling? Well, 
a lot of times I just don't want to go through the pain. Mm. And yet when you realize that, that, again, it's a short-term pain for long-term gain, maybe it's worth it. I certainly think so. Scrooge certainly thinks so. What was going on in, in Dickens' life at this point? I mean, is there anything when he writes the Christmas carols or anything he's drawing from his own personal experience and own life? Great question, Daniel. And the answer is yes. Interestingly enough, he was only, he was not yet 30 years old when he wrote this thing. Mm. Um, which, you know, to me, it just seems like the, the story of a, of a mature man who's lived some life and been around the block and knows, knows what's important, but he was not yet 30. Um, he, he was very keen to the poverty in England at the time, and he had just returned from a tour of uh, some, what, what basically you would call uh, child labor camps. I mean, the, the way that the, the government treated children at that time, particularly poor poor children was was just pathetic and he had recently returned from that that was sort of the catalyst that was the last straw as it were that challenged him to write something to confront the uh what he felt was a, a draconian sort of view from the government of of poverty and in particular children and poverty and you 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 recall in the story uh, the two ch- children almost almost animal animal-like children want and ignorance come out from behind the cloaks of the of one of the spirits and those kind of represented as it were the the children that we as a society are responsible for taking care of but which the government um viewed as excess baggage as it were so yeah he had just come out of an experience and i think he was quite moved by by seeing poverty uh, very close up and seeing how children at, you know, 10-year-olds were forced into labor camps and such. Mm. Uh, last question is, if you're advising people this holiday season to experience the Christmas Carol, what is your favorite way? Is it the movies? Is it going to see a play? Is it reading it? What uh, What is your favorite way of, of uh Well, my favorite way, of course, would be reading 52 Little Lessons from A Christmas <laughs> well, yes. Carol, but that, then I'm biased. Uh, I love it. You know, I, I think that you, you, you take whatever it is that you enjoy doing as a family and you find a way to put a, um, a Christmas slash life spin on it and try to teach your children some lessons from it all. I mean, that's what's so fun about, I think that a lot of people just look at a Christmas Carol as a, a fun Christmas story. And and I think that it is, and I and I hope that I've written um, fifty two little lessons from a Christmas Carol in a fun, humor uh, uh, sort of oriented way. And yet, there's some deep pathos going on here. There's there's deep stuff that I think we can relate to 2015 in the United States, even though it took place in the 19th century England. And so I would just I I think reading to your children is important, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and I think that. All, when you couple that with uh, showing, even showing the Disney version of, of A Christmas Carol, I think there's like uh, been close to a hundred different variations of the story. Whatever version works for you, um, I just encourage people to to not only enjoy the story, but be willing to go a step farther and um, extract some lessons from that story that you can use as, as teachable moments for your children and uh, above all for yourself. If you're not willing to change if you're not willing to take to heart the lessons of certain stories why why should your children is there some sort of an age limit that once you get to be 16 or 21 
you stop growing and learning and changing. Mm. I certainly don't think the Scripture teaches that. So, uh, I, again, I just sort of suggest blending the fun with some, with some life lessons along the way. Well, thank you so much, Bob Welch, author of uh, 52 Lessons from uh, the Christmas Carol. Thanks for joining us here on the Way Home Podcast. I encourage everyone to, to get this book and enjoy this classic uh, story this holiday season, this Christmas season. Well, I'm season. privileged to be on the show. Thank you, Daniel. You did a great job. Thank you. Well, I want to thank Bob Welch for this great conversation about one of my favorite Christmas stories, The Christmas Carol. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, would you let us know by sending an email to wayhome at erlc.com or better yet, writing a review on iTunes and let others know about the podcast. This just helps get the word out. You can listen to The Way Home through iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, uh, or a new interactive podcast player called Signal that's available for Apple devices. You can also find all of our previous episodes on danieldarling.com on the podcast page. But for now, thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. The Way Home is recorded and produced by Gary Lancaster. Research is conducted by David Clausen, and scheduling is handled by Marie Delph. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm-hmm.